This is Ed Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was Police Superintendent David Brown, who's been the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department for the past 18 months. Before coming to Chicago, Superintendent Brown had more than 30 years of law enforcement experience. He's a nationally recognized expert in public safety, community policing, and reform. Superintendent Brown was introduced by Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She talked about his challenges, his achievements, and pointed to future directions for the superintendent and the Chicago Police Department. Superintendent Brown said when he took the job, he had no idea that he'd be working in a pandemic and in an environment that was probably the most difficult ever in the history of Chicago law enforcement and perhaps national law enforcement. Violent crime, he said, is up 3% in the city of Chicago. Shootings are up 10%, but crime overall is down a significant percentage. He talked about a program that the police department has set up in the 15 most violent beats in the city of Chicago. And in these beats, there is intensive activity by the police department, both foot control in police cars, other city, government, and not-for-profit agencies. And those violent beats, primarily on the south and west sides of Chicago, are down significantly, 23% in homicides, 17% in robberies. He then talked about officer wellness. 46 Chicago police officers have been shot at this year. One, Ella French, has been murdered. Four officers have died of COVID-19. This year alone, 2021, the superintendent said 9,000 illegal guns have been recovered, more than the combined totals for New York City and Los Angeles. In fact, since the recent murder of police officer Ella French, 1,000 illegal guns have been recovered by the city of Chicago's police department. He talked about how violence is driven by the illicit drug trade, and we're going to get, he said, after gangs and their blood money. He also focused in on automobile hijackings and the fact that they've set aside specific details to deal with that and that hijackings have been reduced from an average of 80 a week to the still too many, 20 to 30 per week. He completed his address by saying, peace officers like Chicago are guardians of the public trust. Police need the community and the community needs police. And hopefully we'll all work together, he said, for a better future. Without any further ado, I think we all know the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. What you don't know is how strong a supporter she has been to the City Club of Chicago. And we really, really are grateful to her and appreciate it. Mayor Lightfoot, thank you. Welcome aboard. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and, and thank you so much. It's great that the City Club is back and in person. It's my uh, distinct honor to be here today um, for a host of reasons, but not the least of which is to uh, provide an introduction to uh, Superintendent of uh, Police David O. Brown. Uh, Superintendent Brown 
uh, is a nationally recognized police executive with more than three decades of law enforcement experience. He's a very humble guy. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, reintroducing you to him because he doesn't talk about who he is and his background. But I think it's critically important for you to understand that the person we have helming the Chicago Police Department comes to us with a tremendous amount of experience, but more importantly, somebody who um, is a nationally recognized leader. As you know, he came to Chicago Police Department in April of last year from Dallas, where he was born and raised. And... Uh, served a lengthy career within the Dallas Police Department. The thing you should also know is, born and raised in, in uh, Dallas, was off in college after his first year, came back and recognized what the crack epidemic was doing to his community and decided at that point that he wanted to do something to be able to help the people that he knew, the people that he was growing up with, and he became a police officer. A pretty bold thing for a black man to do uh, during that time, and I'll let him tell you uh, about the conversation that he had with his father when he, uh, when he told him that he wanted to be a Dallas police officer. But that really tells you something about the man. He is the person who's going to do the right thing in the moment. He's going to always step up and serve um, at a time of greatest need. And it's one of the things that attracted me most about um, him as we were going through the interviewing process. You should know that over the arc of his career in Dallas, he was a beat cop a detective, a SWAT team leader, a supervisor of the 911 dispatch center, and served for a moment um, in the city manager's office uh, in Dallas, and then became the chief. During his six-year tenure as the head of the Dallas police force, really, he brought the Dallas police force into the modern age. And let me tell you a little bit about those highlights. Um, he led the department through wholesale reform and came encompassing increased transparency, accountability, and officer training, and led his city to become the first in the nation to institute department-wide de-escalation training. He implemented community policing initiatives and implicit bias training, brought body cameras to Dallas, expanded uh, mental uh, health supports for officers, increased diversity in the department, and published um, never-before-released data on the use of force and officer-involved shootings, all of which helped bring Dallas violent crime down to 50-year lows. As demonstrated by his long list of accomplishments in Dallas, Superintendent Brown has always been deeply passionate about officer wellness, building trust between officers and communities, um, and bringing peace to neighborhoods. And as he would be the first to tell you, you cannot do any of those things without all of those things happening at the same time. It's for those reasons and more that I'm incredibly grateful um, that he chose to leave his hometown, come out of retirement, and come to the city of Chicago. And there's only a, a small handful of people in the country that can do this job, to do the job of the second, leading the second largest police force uh, in the country. It is difficult. It's demanding. Uh, it is challenging under the best of circumstances. And these are far from that. To come into um, the city when we're seeing an unprecedented surge of violence across the country, to come into a city at a time when we are under a consent decree and, frankly, we're behind in what we needed to get done, and to come into a city where changing the culture is so critically important to the long-term success of the department, David Brown took on those challenges and many more. 
And despite inheriting a number of challenges, he continues to work diligently and holistically as possible to solve the problems facing our police department and our communities because the success of the department means that the city is safer. That's what that means. Since becoming superintendent, he has prioritized community engagement and building trust within our neighborhoods by fully embracing community policing. And let me just tell you another thing that doesn't get a lot of um, publicity, but is critically important to, and I think gives you insights on who he is. And I learned about this early on in our first conversation. Since last year, every single community-facing police officer, the beat cars, the TAC teams, and everything in between. If you touch the public in the Chicago Police Department, every single week you must do a community service project. That is what David Brown has brought to the city. Why is that important? It's important for the obvious reasons. Our community members need to see our officers in a circumstance that isn't lights and sirens and law enforcement uh, action. They need to see our officers as the people that they are, as the truly committed public servants that they are. And for our officers, they get to see community members in a non-law enforcement activity. And I'll tell you, some of the things that our officers have done as a result of Superintendent Brown's uh, mandate, they've done things from clothing drives to food drives. Recently, um, a group of officers reinstituted the Police Athletic League, again at the direction of Superintendent Brown. I was uh, able to participate in a parade of teams at the start of the summer, um, baseball teams, um, over on the west side. They've done things like taking kids fishing. So these little moments where our officers get to interact with members of the community, particularly our kids, it, that those bonding um, opportunities cannot be understated. And I'm going to skip ahead in my notes and tell you one thing that's important. We're seeing the results of that work. One of the things the superintendent understands that when you have real trust between the community and the police, not only do they see each other in a different light, not only do they, they understand each other in a way that they didn't before, it yields results in crime fighting. Now, raise your hand if you remember, not that long ago, within the last five or six years, our homicide clearance rate was an embarrassing level, one of the worst in the nation, in the teens for homicide clearance rate. And if you had the audacity to live from being shot, it was in the single digits. Because of the policies and practices, and frankly, the accountability that this superintendent has placed in his department, I'm happy to say, ladies and gentlemen, that our homicide clearance rate this year has been um, between 45 and 60 percent. Now, not high enough. <laughs> now, now, not high enough by any stretch, but a measure um, different than what it was not that long ago. And how do you get there? You only get there because people are starting to believe and trust in the legitimacy of the police as a force for good in their communities. And in our weekly meetings where we dissect what's happened in the week before, what I hear when I get a report out from the chief of the detectives is a witness saw X and reported Y. A witness was able to do this or that. 
That is, yes, we've got a lot more technology. We're doing, I think, really great things about it. But fundamentally, at its core, what is making the difference is the trust that's being built between the community members and the police. And that's happening under this man's watch. A couple other things that I want to highlight that I think um, is important for you all to know. Last year, or recently, the superintendent announced um, the CPD's new uh, liaison initiative, um, which is an extension of the Civil Rights Unit. And as a part of this initiative, um, LGBTQ+, homeless, immigrant, religious liaisons work throughout the city to advocate support and build trust within these marginalized communities. And before, and I'll, I'll speak to something that's important to me, historically we had one member of the Chicago Police Department that reached out to uh, the gay community in this, in this city. One. One. And then that person retired, and then there were none. As a result of the initiatives that the superintendent has put in place, we have five. Five for e one for each area that are actively working full time to make sure that they're reaching out to a critically important and, and victimized uh, community. But that's just those on top of other community liaisons. And so I hope you get from this that this superintendent understands the importance and necessity of reaching out in community policing. Also within the department, the superintendent has maintained a laser focus on bringing about more reform and accountability. Um, he recognizes, as he said many times, that the consent decree has to be the floor, not the ceiling, and that there are worlds of possibilities on what we must do. Um, things like um, making sure that we've got the best trained police department in the country. Again, not that long ago, when I was leading the Police Accountability Task Force, we had zero hours of mandatory training for our officers aside from firearms qualification. Zero hours. Now there are 40, and it's a range of offerings, and includes things like procedural justice, use of force, and other things that we know are critically important to make sure our officers are better equipped to do their job every day. Superintendent Brown has also simultaneously worked to change the culture uh, to maximize the long-term benefits of the various reforms that have been put in place. And one thing that I know the superintendent cares deeply about, and many people in this room as well, and that's officer wellness. And that remains one of his top priorities, and I believe he'll talk a little bit about this. It, the bottom line here, folks, is if our officers are not physically and mentally well, to deal with the traumas that they see and experience every single day, it's going to show up in negative ways on the streets, in their interactions with members of the public. That's why Superintendent Brown has bolstered officer wellness resources available to CPD members. And despite some of the noise that's out there, let me tell you a couple of things that he's done. Number one, the number of resources that were available. Before Superintendent Brown uh, <clears throat> came to Chicago, <clears throat> for a police force of over 12,000 members, we had three, um, three counselors. Three, thank you. Three. We've exponentially increased that, and the budget that's proposed for this for FY22, we will completely transform the landscape for officer wellness. So I know there's a couple aldermen in the in the room. Make sure you vote for that budget because this is going to be a game changer in officer wellness. He's also provided a number of resources. So historically, in the summers. <clears throat> cancel days off at the last minute, extended tours of duty were routine. But since last summer, and particularly over this long, hard summer, the superintendent changed that. He actually gave officers notice 
of when they were going to be um, on extended tours um, and cancel days off and didn't do it as a matter of course. And then when they were working those long stretches, made sure that, in fact, there were EAP counselors available at a series of respite spots across the city. That's never happened before, but it's happened under Superintendent Bound. I talked about the, the homicide clearance rate, and he'll go into more details about that. Now, look, I think anybody who um, is a close observer of this department knows that we're far from being at a time where we can take a, a victory lap. The challenges remain, and the challenges are deep, and it's cold comfort to uh, people in the community that every other major city is going through the same kinds of things uh, that we are. But we must make sure that we understand the progress that's been made, and there has been significant. So let me just close by saying this. It has been a very tough season for the Chicago Police Department. And these last two summers uh, in particular have been brutal, brutal, difficult on them. There have been an extraordinary number of killings and shootings, and we've seen historic um, levels of officers being shot at. And so in this time where I think it's one of the most difficult times for policing in the history of our country, we, we would be remiss if we forgot a couple of things. Our department isn't perfect, and neither are the individuals perfect. But in that regard, keep in mind, they're cut from the same cloth as you and me. They are human beings. They are sons and daughters and fathers and, and mothers. Humans called to service. But the difference between them and us is that they run toward danger every day. Every day, every watch, they run towards danger to protect us, to keep us safe. So what, what should we be doing as the beneficiaries of their service and their sacrifice? Well, we can start with saying thank you. Thank our officers from top to bottom for their commitment and their sacrifice. <laughs> We forget about that. The critics are many. The challenges are great. But we can't forget that every single day, these officers leave their families. And those families also need a debt of gratitude and thanks from us. They worry, obviously, about their loved ones leaving every single day and whether they're going to come home at the end of that watch. That's a terrible thing for them to face, but they do it every day. They make that sacrifice on behalf of a greater cause, and we cannot forget that our officers are part of a calling. This isn't just a job for the vast majority of them. And so our thanks and gratitude to them, something that's so simple but so important and makes such a difference every single day, we've got to make sure that we do that. Because we do owe our officers and their families a debt of gratitude that we will truly never be able to repay. But we can start by simply saying thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's my great honor to introduce and welcome to the stage Superintendent David Brown. Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. Thank you very much. Before uh, we relinquish the podium to um, Superintendent Brown, I want to bring everybody's attention to the fact that on each table, in addition to the water, there is a City Club question card. If you have any questions that you would like us to try to ask to the superintendent, please write them down. Our staff will collect them 
later, and we'll try to handle as many questions as we possibly can. So, without any further ado, Superintendent Brown. Thank you, City Club. And uh, I, I just got to confess that uh, when I first heard about the invitation to speak here, the only thing I thought about was Maggiano's tiramisu. And uh, it, it really got me to accept him pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, I, I yes, I, I, I very clever City Club, by the way, to have it at Maggiano's because that's that's what I thought of. You know, one of the things that uh, the mayor mentioned and and thank you, mayor, for that very, very warm uh, introduction is I want to thank the City Club as well. I think your service to this city should not go uh, unnoticed, and we should not take it uh, for granted. So thank each and every one of you for your services to the city, for your concern uh, for this city. is much appreciated. Thank you very much, City Club. And if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, some advice to the city of Chicago for job postings. So 15 months ago, I answered a job posting that should have read, <laughs> must be willing to work in a global pandemic <laughs> and social justice movement, along with unprecedented civil unrest. Must uh, be able to uh, navigate unprecedented violence and a police union president, dot, 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 is what I have on my notes. <laughs> and the most difficult policing environment in the country's history. And I would have still signed up for this job. Yeah. Every one of you here today is committed to building on Chicago's greatness. Every one of you. And every member of this audience should rest assured that all of us, who work at the Chicago Police Department, shares your com commitment as well. Every officer on the beat, every commander at the district, every top deputy and every civilian employee work hard day in and day out and will continue to work to keep the people of Chicago safe. Currently, overall, our crime is down 9%, but our violent crime, our homicides are up 3%. So are our shootings up 10%. And that is unacceptable. This summer, the city launched a pilot program, though, that yields some promising results. And I'm going to go through those, if you don't mind, just for a minute. So the mayor uh, launched a pilot program in 15 of our most violent beats. Uh, they are on the south and west sides of the city. And the mayor uh, utilized a whole of government holistic approach to violence, similar to how we approach the global pandemic in COVID-19, this whole of government approach. And of course, as the summer ended, September 21st was the end of summer. Uh, we have some preliminary results. So back in May, uh, more than half a dozen city agencies, including CPD, we came together to implement the mayor's pilot program. As I mentioned, it's a whole of government holistic approach that's hyper local is precision deployments into these 15 beats. And we use violent crime data going back uh, several years on these 15 beats to identify some of the challenges. We put those 15 beats into four zones. Then we began the hard work of flooding these zones with not just police resources because police can't do it alone. 
We also included wraparound services and community-based resources and services, both nonprofits and government resources, all collaborating in these 15 beats. Every part of city government, including building uh, services department, business affairs and consumer protection, streets and sands, and the Chicago Public Library, the Parks Department, Chicago Public Schools, and city colleges, the mayor's office, the Department of Family and Support Services, and the Office of Emergency Management, CTA, and the planning department, all focused on these 15 beats. We use data-driven precision deployment, so every week we would revisit what type of adjustments we need to make in these areas, uh, such as more foot patrols or more library hours or more services in our parks. We did community safety walks with people in the community. We collaborated and had open and weekly discussions with the community and community-based organizations. So from May 17th, when we launched this pilot program in the 15 most violent beats in this city, uh, the results are encouraging. The overall drop in homicides in these four safety zones were 23%. 23%. As I mentioned, citywide homicides are up 3%. There were also drops in shootings of 4% and a 2% drop in vehicular hijackings and a 17% drop in robberies. These are successes we can scale and build on and expand uh, into other troubled neighborhoods similar to these 15 beats in our communities across the city. One of the lessons learned, though, is that we need to tailor each of our public safety strategies to each specific neighborhood. There is no one size that fits all. For example, the needs on the west side, West Garfield Park, are not necessarily going to be the same as those in Albany Park. But what all communities want and deserve is public safety. The men and women of the Chicago Peace Department are doing everything possible to make Chicago safer for everyone. And they do it, as the mayor mentioned, at great personal risk. Just the other night, a young officer was shot in the leg. She was rushed to rushing to render aid to uh, victims of a shooting uh, lying in the street. And after being hit by gunfire, she drove herself to the hospital. And thank God she is now recovering at home. At the hospital, this officer, this wounded officer, sent a message over our radio system to her colleagues. Her message was this, and I quote, I just want to say thank you to everyone who responded, and I will be back soon. Have a good night, and you all be safe, end quote. That's a two-year officer on this police department after being shot. So far, 46 Chicago police officers have been shot at or shot so far this year. Twelve of them have been struck by gunfire. And you all know Ella French was killed and murdered by gunfire. Just last week, we retired four of our police stars. It's a ceremony of our fallen officers who succumbed to COVID-19 in the early parts of 2020 as I was beginning uh, the job back in April. Four of our officers uh, passed from COVID-19. Police officers don't have the option to stay home and work in the comfort and safety of their home. It is the most challenging climate for law enforcement in this country's history. 
the think tank, the Police Executive Research Forum, released, recently released a survey of police departments across the country. The survey showed a 12% increase in homicides and a 16% increase in shootings across not only Chicago, but Philadelphia, Houston, New York, Los Angeles. Every major city, mid-sized city, small cities experienced similar uh, violence. And the men and women of Chicago Police Department will not yield to this violence. They will continue to work day in and day out, risking their lives to protect each and every one of you, all of us. So far in 22 officers have recovered, in 2021, officers have recovered 9,000 illegally possessed guns. That's a record pace to recover more guns than the child police department has recovered in its history on record. In addition, each and every one of those gun recoveries is a potential deadly force encounter. We routinely take more illegal guns off the streets than New York City and LAPD combined. Each recovery is a potential life saved. We are particularly targeting gun trafficking, not just gun possession. Uh, newly created, our newly created gun investigations team is responsible for tracing, tracking, and arresting anyone involved in bringing illegal weapons to our city. The gun used to kill Ella French and critically wound her partner, Officer Carlos Yanez, was obtained during a straw purchase. In other words, a person who could legally buy a gun bought a gun for a person who could not because of their criminal background. That's called a straw purchase. And that person was charged and will be brought before the federal courts for accountability. But we cannot do this alone. That's why we are also establishing a tip line. And you'll hear more about awards at this tip line, but we're asking the public for help in identifying gun traffickers. We're also working with the Cook County Crime Stoppers to, to pay for tips for information that can help us identify and apprehend uh, those who are funneling guns into our city. We're going to release information soon on this uh, award or reward for tips. Uh, as, a, as an aside, I, I hear this this uh, crowd has a little bit of coin that you guys uh, are not uh, broke. So I would encourage you <laughs> in your philanthropic endeavors to support Crime Stoppers and funding our tip line for gun trafficking and clearing homicide cases as well. By helping to keep this reward fund full, we can get that information that we need to prevent guns from coming into our city and creating trauma in our neighborhoods. So if the word on the street is true and you all have a little coin, uh, crime stoppers, it would be a great opportunity for you uh, to help us in this endeavor. Our Bureau of, Bureau of Detectives also continues to do an outstanding job. Uh, currently, our detectives have cleared more than 260 murders this year. That's more homicides cleared than we've cleared in a decade. Our murder clearance rate ranges, as the mayor mentioned, from 35% to 69% across the city. Much of the violence, though, is being driven by the illicit, illicit drug trade. Gangs fighting over turf are destroying lives and communities, killing innocent children, young people and adults. And we are going after gangs and their blood money hard. 
So far this year, our criminal drug conspiracy investigations have led to the seizure of some 5,000 kilos of narcotics with an estimated street value of $330 million. And we also have seized tens of millions of U.S. currency from these gangs. We as a city have a responsibility to use all of our laws, civil as well as criminal, to stand up for victims of gang violence. The Chicago Victims Justice Ordinance is the tool we need to do that, to go after gang leaders and their ill-gotten gains, not the small players in the guns and drugs game. The gang leaders, the so-called shot callers, profit from violence, from trauma. They profit from from inflicting trauma on entire communities. They profit from crushing the chances for a neighborhood to have legitimate, lawful economic opportunity. This ordinance will give the city the means to file civil suits to go after these ill-gotten gains of gang leaders. Any property that is directly or indirectly used to facilitate gang activity, we will go after. CPD officers have made more than 1,000 carjacking-related arrests in 2021. That is a 60% plus increase in vehicular hijacking arrests. At the beginning of the year, we saw a significant spike in weekly carjackings in this city. We were seeing about 80 carjackings a week. We launched a new task force in the spring of this year, and we saw a decrease to 20 to 30 weekly carjackings. That's not low enough for Chicago. That's not good enough for Chicago Police Department, and that's not good enough for you. So we add an additional 40 officers to this task force recently to further curtail the incidence of carjacking. Sadly, nearly 60% of those arrested for carjacking are juveniles, young people who've lost their way. That's why it's so important to invest in our youth and community programming. The best way to reduce crime is to prevent it from happening in the first place. In addition to great police work and detective work, we are also investing in smart policing technology to assist in these investigations, which includes the area technology centers in each of our five areas. As far as the SDSC rooms, those are the strategic decision support centers in the 21 of our 22 districts. These rooms allow us to monitor crimes in real time and use modern policing technology to help us sift through the digital evidence and surveillance more quickly and efficiently. Many of our violent crimes are solved using technology, both public and private cameras, cell phone technologies, and the technology in cars. As you can hear in my voice, I'm especially uh, proud of the men and women and their work of the Chicago Police Department. But there is still much work that needs to be done. Policing, the law enforcement profession, is in the midst of its most significant reform efforts in its history. We have made significant progress in our reform consent decree efforts. But I've always said, and the mayor said, and I can't say it enough, the consent decree is our floor, not our ceiling across The department, we are making efforts to create transformative, substantive change in areas like the community engagement, officer wellness and department policies to include training and use of force. 
During the past three monitoring periods, the monitoring periods for the consent decree are one, two, three, and we're on the midst of the fourth monitoring period. Uh, the third, we doubled our efforts. And during this period, uh, if you look at the first period to now, first period, we had 11% compliance. That's 11. Second period, we had 28% compliance. In the third period, we had uh, 40 5% compliance, and we anticipate this period to be 52% compliance. As you can see, we're making progress, but we're making it slowly but steadily. Uh, during the most recent monitoring period, we made substantial progress in use of force, which is a big part of our consent decree. The consent decree uh, was put upon the Chicago Police Department because of policies and practices that violated use of force policy. So use of force policy uh, changes is the most significant part of our consent decree that we must get right. If you are a police leader today and you are not committed to reform, to transforming your department and its culture, you are in the wrong business. As part of our reform efforts, we are taking a big swing at community policing, we are changing how we approach community engagement to include shifting toward a problem, problem solving approach. A major part of this effort is our neighbor policing, neighborhood policing initiative, which is currently in 10 of our 22 districts on the city's south and west sides. This program allows our district coordination officers to work directly with residents to solve problems residents are seeing within their neighborhoods before they escalate. We also deeply understand and appreciate the diverse communities that make Chicago, Chicago. Our Office of Community Policing has made it a priority, made it a priority to, to, to support and advocate for communities that have been historically marginalized. It's so important to use that we, to us, that we build trust, as the mayor had mentioned, with these communities. That is why we created the LGBTQ plus religious immigrant and homeless liaisons. These liaisons work across the city to connect members with their communities and help amplify their voices. The old policing playbook, throw it out the window. No one is going back to stop and frisk, or mass incarceration. Thank God. But I am a still a strong advocate for violent offenders being held in jail. Shameless plug. But policing must be reformed, and it must be transformed through this reform. So one of the five pillars of our strategic plan uh, is obviously community policing, but it also includes officer wellness, ensuring public safety and strengthening investigation. These pillars, we believe, will help the police department curb violence and will also meet the demands of public of the public that rightly expects accountability, respect and empathy from our officers. Let me share just a few examples of these five pillars that are becoming reality on the ground. Street outreach on the mayor Lightfoot. Chicago, for the first time, is making an unprecedented investment of $30 million in violence prevention and street outreach. Street outreach is an important complement to policing because these groups are embedded in neighborhoods. They can help us build trust among uh, those who still distrust our officers. These groups are working hard to de-escalate conflict, you know, trying to stop shootings before they happen. We strongly support long-term investment in this work. 
Victim support. Every shooting has multiple victims. These, the, these are the persons who, not just who are injured or worse, killed, but also their family who have to deal with the trauma, particularly the young people who have to deal with the trauma suddenly of suddenly losing a loved one or to uh, gun violence or injury from gun violence. Our department is doing more to help victims and families, and this is part of building relationships. One way this is done is through our family liaisons. Our detectives are working to build those relationships. Part of their job will be to connect shooting survivors and families with support services and provide them with regular updates on the progress of their criminal cases. Officers have been provided with directives outlining their responsibilities to crime victims. They know how to connect them with these services. Narcotics diversion. As you know, and as I mentioned, many of our conflicts are around narcotics, turf, drug wars. But law enforcement should not spend time arresting people who suffer from addiction and commit low-level drug possession just to feed their drug habit. This is the part of the mass incarceration mistake that we are living with today. People with addictions are the victims of these gangs and their violent drug trade. Our focus, thank you, our focus, our focus is going going after the gang leaders, not the people who are addicted who need treatment. Through our narcotics diversion program, over 600 people have been sent to substance abuse treatment as a alternative to arrest and prosecution through the criminal justice system. We expect to have this diversion program in every police district in the city by the end of the year. This program also has a walk-in component where everyone who walks into a participating uh, police station and asks for treatment will get connected to a treatment provider at no cost. The co-responder model to mental health calls. Many of the calls made to 911 are due to some sort of mental health issue that the caller or someone else in their environment is experiencing. A solution to mental health is never should be and is not going to jail. Going to jail, being handcuffed, is not a solution to mental health. Those calls are better handled by a mental health professional who knows how to handle a person who may be in a crisis and at risk of harming themselves or someone else. So for the first time in this city, we can now send those professionals to answer such calls. Our mental health teams include specially trained paramedics with the Chicago Fire Department and mental health counselors from the Department of Public Health. Police officers who have also been specially trained in crisis intervention will also accompany these teams in certain situations that are high risk. In this pilot program we recently rolled out, teams will operate in certain neighborhoods as a pilot across the city. West Englewood, West Elston, Chicago Lawn, West Lawn, Gage Park, West and East Garfield Park and Humble Park, Uptown North Center, Lakeview, Auburn, Gresham and Chatham are the pilot neighborhoods. These first responders will connect people to community service and can address their needs. As I mentioned, thank you. Thank you. Neighborhood policing, as I mentioned, our problem solving model will be expanded into all 22 districts. And these are just some of the proactive steps we are taking to reform this department. We must be peace officers, problem solvers, guardians of the public trust, 
who the public believes in, works with as our partners. The police need the community and the community needs the police. We are all in this together and together we will make Chicago this wonderful, great city, one of the best cities in the world, safer for everyone. Even though I didn't get my term of suit, I'm going to close with a story. It's a bonus. It's a bonus. So we retired the four stars of the officers last year who died from COVID in a very, very nice ceremony for the families. And one of the families, the mother of one of our fallen officers showed up. Uh, it was the mother of Marco uh, DeFranco. He was a narcotics detective and I, I just was touched by uh, DeFranco's mother being there. She's quite emotional uh, during the ceremony, as I'm sure you all can understand. Uh, but I couldn't help but think about my mother, who I recently lost uh, this past month. And I had memories of my mother look, watching Marco DeFranco's mother weep at the ceremony, um, celebrating his life and service and recognizing the retirement of his star. Um, you know, my mother uh, had a big part of influencing who I am as a person. I was a mama's, I'm a mama's boy. Um, I love my mother to death, miss her dearly. It's only been a month. So I remember my mother in church. She made us go to church. Uh, and uh, as a young, young, young boy, I, I may have been 10 years old. My mother would sing solos in the church choir. Uh, and my mother sang perfectly off key. <laughs> my, my mother couldn't ever hit a note uh, correctly in any of her solos. And she loved singing Aretha Franklin gospel songs, which are very difficult to sing. So you could imagine me as a young boy, 10 years old, cringing in my chair at every note she hit. And I had to put up with the practices in the bathroom uh, leading up to Sunday morning. So it was off key in, in the bathroom practicing and it was off key uh, at church. But her singing off key made me remember the words <laughs> and what they meant. And I, I'm, I'm a 60 year old man now. I remember 50 years ago, all the songs my mother sang because she sang them so off key. It stood out so much to me as a 10 year old. Uh, one of the songs is actually one of my favorite songs now that she sang is an Aretha Franklin song uh, that is talking about how you make it over a difficult time. Uh, the name of the song is how I got over, how I made it through this difficult time. Trusting in my faith and loving others. And, you know, this is how you get over. That's how you make it through uh, the, the difficult time. And, I, and I'm, as I'm in the star ceremony, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about Marco DeFranco's mother reminding me of my mother and how uh, his mother is going to have a difficult time getting over his loss from COVID and how I'm having a difficult time giving, getting over my loss. Uh, my mother, as well as people in this city are having a difficult time giving, getting over the difficult gun violence that we're experiencing. Too many murders to to, to name or count and, and how this city um, is going to get over this difficult time. And I, I'm just juxtaposing her singing off key with how you get over. You have to do some off key things. 
to get through a difficult time. It is off key to run toward danger. Most of us in this room, if shots rang out right now, we'd run away from gunfire, not toward gunfire. Uh, it, it is off key to be here at the city club uh, and listen for how I can help in the challenging, the most challenging time to be in law enforcement. It is off key to find solutions to the most difficult problems in this. It is off key to have a global pandemic and still come to work. Four of your peers die from COVID and you still come to work. That's 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 sing it off key. It it is off key uh, to lose one of our brave police officers, Ella French, from gun violence and yet recover an additional thousand guns since her death. That's off key. Who who does that? Who who rises to the occasion uh, in difficult times? Um, some, some would say um, this, this, this is this is your job to do that. I'm a spectator, but we live in a participatory democracy. We do. If if our founding fathers weren't living their lives off key, we would still be speaking the king's English. If the greatest universe, uh, greatest generation in our country, the World War II generation, didn't act off key, God knows what the world would be like given the rise of Nazi Germany. If the young people of the civil rights movement, these were teenagers who were discouraged by their parents, by the way, to participate in the civil rights movement. Then think about the world in this country off key. We would still be segregated today. If generations who have served in our longest war didn't think about service in an off key manner and go overseas to Iraq and Afghanistan to lose their lives in many instances. Where would we be? My mother taught me a great lesson singing off key. She did. She, she, she taught me how unusual you have to be to serve people, to be able to make the ultimate sacrifice if, if required. I will just encourage you all. Sing off key a minute. Take some time to do things in the service of others without expecting anything in return. That's how you get over. That's how you make it through a difficult time. How I got over. How I got over. My soul looks back and wonder how I got over. Thank you, City Club. Thank you, Superintendent Brown. Thank you very much. We have time for a um, few questions. If anybody has any question, if you just hold them up. 
our, our staff. Uh, Amanda's going around the room. Um, I don't know if she has anyone else. Uh, Governor Ivey, uh, Governor Dagestani. We'll try to handle as many of those questions as we possibly can. Um, two other announcements before we get to the questions. Number one, I want to alert you that our upcoming speaker, we haven't set the exact date, but watch for it in your emails, will be Karen Freeman Wilson, the head of the Chicago Urban League. And that's going to be a session that you do not want to miss, believe me. Number two, you notice that um, we didn't feed you the famous Maggiano's chicken parm. Not here today. But on the way out, none of you have to turn your ovens on tonight. If you do, none of you have to order in tonight because there'll be bags with salad, bread, and a main course and the famous, I hope, Maggiano's lemon cookies. So you'll enjoy on the way out. Um, okay. Uh, this question is from somebody Foreman. I can't read his first uh, Ian. name. Ian Foreman. Okay. He's not a member of the City Club. Ian, we'll give you a pass this time. It's called City Club Courtesy, okay? But we'd like to have you become a member. Um, crime of violence impacts all of Chicago. What can we, everyday Chicagoans, do to assist the CPD's efforts to improve our city? Superintendent? I would encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, when you see a police officer, thank them for them ser their service. That encouragement seems like such a small thing, but we're asking these people to risk their lives every day. So a thank you will go a long way. Secondly, I would say because I'm uh, 15 months here, I've been looking for a permanent home to buy. Uh, it is such a segregated city, if you don't already know that. Um, reach across the neighborhoods, maybe sometimes in an uncomfortable way. And interact with someone uh, of a different um, socioeconomic demographic. Uh, we try to do that through some of our youth programming. Uh, but I think to break through which uh, to some of the you know concerns regarding poverty, homelessness, you know, neighborhoods that hadn't been invested in for for generations uh, would help. Uh, the barriers that we as Chicago police officers face, uh, you can be the tip of the spear for breaking down those barriers for us. So if you are a person of faith and maybe your uh, church or mosque have uh, youth programs, uh, reach across neighborhoods that don't look like you uh, would help us. Next question. Okay. Thank you, Superintendent. Um, this is from uh Patricia Provenzano, who's with the Bank of America, and by the way, her son is uh, one of your Chicago police officers, and he's a wonderful officer, um, and Pat's a wonderful person. The question is, in your efforts to step up recruitment, have you considered cash bonuses for lateral transfers as other municipalities are recruiting CPD in this way? That, that is something we are considering, although we have not uh, 
launched into any kind of cash bonus at this time. We're actually in, a, in the heat of a big recruiting push. Uh, we have uh, about a thousand vacancies uh, from attrition currently, and we're going to have for the first time since COVID an in-person test next uh, next month uh, across all of our city colleges on site. And so, number one, help us recruit friends, family, and others. Uh, we're looking to be even increasingly more diverse than we are. So, uh, if you have insights into uh, diverse communities, please help us recruit. Uh, go online uh, to our website and you'll have a listing. You'll see a listing of the uh, in-person testing sites that we're going to have during the third week of next month. Uh, but it is an aggressive time uh, to recruit. Uh, not many millennials and Gen Z's are looking at policing. So we need your help in uplifting the profession. Don't give us a pass. But when we do well, uh, we sure like to be acknowledged uh, when we risk our lives for each and every one of you. So help us with recruiting and we would be much appreciated. And, and, and your department will be uh, what, what you deserve. Thank you, Superintendent. Uh, the next question is from uh, Michael Vellini. Uh, he's in real estate now, but at one time he was an alderman for the city of Chicago. Of course, some people say that's a very close relationship, real estate and being an alderman. Um, his question is, I think you've already addressed uh, carjackings. Um, how can we stop speeding of motorcycles on Lakeshore Drive? Yeah, so I, I have an apartment in this area where, you know, the, the car speeding, racing uh, happens all hours of the night. So I personally uh, am experiencing this issue you're raising. Uh, one of the things we, we do, we are very aggressive at towing, confiscating the motorcycle and or the car uh, when called. But as you know, we have a very restrictive uh, vehicle chase policy that, uh, these folks are really taking advantage of, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and we need your help here because uh, the many of you and your friends will know these clubs and these groups that do this. It's a pretty close shop uh, to law enforcement. Uh, let's open a door on these groups. Let's let's all uh, endeavor to uh, give them up, much like we're talking about with. Uh, gangs, guns, and drugs. Uh, public disorder is another aspect of policing that needs the intervention uh, and work with the public and the police. Uh, so uh, we don't have a flip the switch answer. There's no flip the switch answer because of our vehicle uh, chase policy being so restrictive. Uh, but there is a way we can work together as police and public to identify these groups. They usually come in big groups. They race. Uh, they're, they're fairly organized on social media on where they're going and where they meet up after they do uh, some of this racing. So anything you can do to help us identify these groups, we've made arrests, we've seized and towed cars, but we just got to do a lot more than what currently is transpired. And we can do that working with you, not working alone. Okay, thank you, Superintendent. Uh, there are several questions here. I mean, you won't be surprised uh, about these. They um, all relate to um, the Cook County State's Attorney, 
and uh, Chief Judge Tim Evans. And basically they say, how can we get the Cook County State's Attorney, Tim Evans, to work more closely with the CPD um, so that violent offenders and uh, people who should be charged with felonies have them reduced, and then they're out on the street, and then we read in the news media that uh, these people have a lengthy a history of criminal offenses. So w- one thing that I would caution all of us, and I've take my own advice as well, is picking a fight with the state's attorney and the chief judge is not helpful. It's not. Even though it feels good after you do it. If I know it feels good to say, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. That is not what these elected officials were elected to do. They have a uh, different um, agenda and they should not be a rubber stamp to policing. In other words, we should not be judge, juror and jailer, but there should be a healthy tension between us and the courts. Uh, my advice is this. Find a way for all of us to work together in the courts. If you have some influence on uh, the courts, your influence is much needed. Uh, I, I have been one to be very frustrated after a very violent weekend and and, um, you know, outline where I believe violent offenders should be held uh, in court. Uh, but what is more useful and helpful is uh, we have a, a meeting scheduled this week with uh, Judge Evans and and Kim Fox. And we're going to try to outline some of the things we can do to work together on these gun trafficking offenders, uh, what we can do together to work on our uh, conspiracy cases uh, for the to work with the highest charge. People who have to work together have to work together. Uh, It's just you you, you can't um, bully people in to uh, agreeing with your position. I don't know if any of you all took debate, but bullying is not like a debate point that you win points on. We have to work together. All of us in this room, everyone in the courts, um, and we're doing the best we can. And if you have any influence, uh, there's room at the table. I promise you, uh, we would all listen if you, anyone in this room has influence or advice on how we can work closely together with the courts. Okay, one final question. You know, the superintendent just used the phrase a violent weekend. For some of us, it's how the Bears played yesterday. (laughs) Think of how it must be if you were the police superintendent and you wake up on Monday morning. Takes on a very different meaning. Okay, one last question. This is from Amelia Drazda with the Big Shoulders Fund. She wants to know I love these questions, 25 words or less to answer. How can schools public, private, Catholic, charter, build strong relationships with their local commander and area precincts. So this is built in. Um, We work with all of our public schools as well as private schools. If you are in an area where you feel like that relationship needs to be stronger, please uh, let me know. Uh, people at City Club know how to get a hold of me because they offer up tiramisu, so I come calling. 
So please work through City Club. We'll make sure uh, where we're falling short with those relationships that we build those back up. But we uh, really make a strong effort uh, to work with our school. Thank goodness they're back in school, in-person school. That's really helpful to uh, all the things that we talked about today. So if that's not happening, please let us know through City Club and we'll make sure that that happens. Finally, thank you all so much. I did have a joke about the Bears, but I thought that. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a laughing man. Yeah, it's not funny. Not funny. So thank you all so much. God bless you. Okay.